Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're picking up on some really exciting information that we shared with you, well, actually from the beginning of 2020. Some of you who are regular listeners to the broadcast realize that my wife, Dr. Sonia DeRose, and I had the privilege of being in the Hawaiian Islands on the island of Molokai, working with indigenous peoples there, delivering a health intervention we were working with someone by the name of Mercy Ritty, and I'm glad to have Mercy with us again on the show today. Mercy, great to have you. Thank you. Mercy, right now, if I understand correctly, you are in Hawaii. Yes, I am. I'm here on Molokai at home. Well, we're glad you could pull away from your busy activities and join us. You and I had the privilege of reconnecting just within the last month or so because your dream and the dream of indigenous people there in Molokai was a special approach to health. That approach was given national, even international exposure in the American Public Health Association's annual meeting in 2020. I know we were planning to meet uh, physically in San Francisco. That's where there was going to be this big annual meeting But everything, as 2020 played out, ended up uh, virtually taking place. So we had this virtual meeting. But you were one of the presenters. Tell us a little bit about what you were presenting there at the APHA annual meetings. Right. So basically what we looked at were just the connection between self-efficacy, social support, and health-promoting lifestyles, and the positive effects these would have on either a victim or perpetrator of violence. I spoke on these issues on Molokai, relevant to Molokai, and how a program such as Ahona Ulu could actually benefit these areas in a community. This is especially relevant because the APHA meetings, of course, for those who knew about them, they were especially looking at the theme of violence and how that affects community health. You were looking from the standpoint of your own indigenous people there, kind of issues of violence in Molokai. And although when we worked together earlier in 2020, your vision going into this was really not about violence prevention, was it? No, um, it was really about just overall health and um, looking at lifestyle disease and ways to educate and promote lifestyle options that can help Um, alleviate and decrease these diseases in our community. So tell us what uh, Ahana Ulu means. Ahana Ulu means to improve in wellness. And so you've been running this program for a period of time, is that correct? Yes, for about two, two, three years, three years now. So we had an opportunity to work with you, my wife and I, early in 2020, And then you collected data both during that program and afterwards. 
and you really saw some pretty impressive things, and that really was part of your presentation for APHA, correct? Yes. Um, yeah, thank you, Dr. Rose, for assisting with that, gathering the, um, putting together the st statistics on what we gathered. And yes, definitely, definitely um, wanted to reveal that just in one week or seven days, um, how powerful this lifestyle program has been. So let's go back in time. Let's imagine that nobody here listening today was at your APHA session. Some of them may have been, but let's assume no one's heard that. You actually had a series of PowerPoint slides. This is, of course, primarily designed for radio. We've been trying to put out some video content that complements many of the radio shows. Whether we can pull that off with this show or not, time will tell. But Mercy, we'd be happy for you to walk through your actual presentation. We can make it a little bit more interactive. So share with us like you were talking to other professionals. And if you give me some opportunity to interact, I will do that with you. Okay, sure. Would you like me to share the screen at this point? Yeah, we're recording this. For those of you listening on radio, we're recording on Zoom. So if we do come out with video content, Mercy, go ahead and share your screen. And we're looking at some of the PowerPoint slides that Mercy had. So if you're listening by radio, you won't be tied to the slides. Mercy will explain everything that she's uh, displaying. But uh, look in our program description information because we will let you know that there are opportunities for you perhaps to look at some of the video content as well. Okay, Ahana Ulu 2020, we embarked on this project on Molokai in January 2020, using community health workers to help change the health culture of a closely knit community. I just want to point out that um, None of the authors have any relevant financial relationships to disclose. The learning outcomes are to explain the connections between self-efficacy, social support, and health-promoting lifestyles, and becoming either a victim or perpetrator of violence. To describe how a low-cost intervention program could be used to enhance self-efficacy, social support, and health-promoting lifestyles among underserved communities or populations and to discuss ways in which Indigenous community health workers can be empowered to organize and lead health teams in their community. So for those of you who've never been to a professional presentation, what Mercy's just done is pretty standard at a scientific meeting. She'll introduce the topic, she'll uh, give a statement about any conflict of interest, and then she'll talk about what the goal is of that presentation. You have to have learning outcomes. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the term peer-reviewed, you may have heard that in connection with medical articles or other things, but many scientific conferences are peer-reviewed. So Mercy submitted this abstract, this summary. Actually, we worked together on it. And it was accepted for presentation, so it was peer-reviewed. And part of what they review is the learning outcomes. Is this going to be relevant to these public health workers? And then they also look at a summary of the presentation. So what Mercy has just done is told you she's looking at these different factors, how it can influence either perpetrating violence or being a victim of it, 
and she's going to talk about her program and put it all in that context. So, Mercy, thanks for setting the stage for us. So give us a little bit more uh, background now about uh, the framework of your study. Sure. Okay. Well, certain subsets of the population appear to be more vulnerable to violence and other health risks than others. Um, Among these higher risk groups are indigenous peoples, um, in this case, Native Hawaiians, who have been exposed to colonialism's multi-generational stresses. Some stresses may include commodification of our culture, exploitation of people, depopulation, social, economic, and political marginalization, or treatment you know, of this particular group as insignificant, and so on. And we were really impressed by some of those stresses when we stayed with you and your husband and your team because you folks have been working a historic fish pond and that fish pond that used to be just prolific has undergone a lot of stresses presumably because of colonialization and other factors where that is no longer the thriving fish pond that it once was did i pick up on that correctly Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, there's been a shift in the economy and often now we aren't able to continue cultural practices of fish pond work as a means of income or survival. And so a lot of these things become forgotten. and, And so everyone's working, working and like neglecting some of those things. So you have that background. Any other background, especially relevant to violence among indigenous peoples? Um, I would say high rates of alcoholism, drug abuse, Yara Molokai, disparities in health. We're among the highest in the state, I think, in um, unemployment. And Native Hawaiians are among the highest with diabetes and high blood pressure. Um, coronary heart disease, those kind of things. Wow, so a lot of challenges. So please continue with your presentation for us. Okay, so an article published by NCBI, Voices of Native Hawaiian Women, supports the findings that between 2000 and 2009, there were 58 murders of women resulting from intimate partner violence, and 70% of these murders were of Filipino or Native Hawaiian ancestry. That's a sobering statistic. What about other uh, insights into domestic violence? The National Coalition Against Domestic Violence reported that regarding domestic violence in Hawaii, Asian and Pacific Islander communities experienced domestic violence at much higher rates than the general population. And in a single day in Hawaii, domestic violence programs are serving 505 victims. So significant burden of suffering from domestic violence. And like we said at the beginning of the show, you didn't go into your wellness programming, especially focused on violence. But as you and I were talking about this, and as we kind of dug into the research together, as we were talking about the American Public Health Association and their concern in 2020 about this theme of violence, we said, wow, The things that you were impacting there really seem to have a bearing on some of the underlying factors that that can lead to violence. Right. Looking on Molokai, the island um, here, my home island, per capita Molokai, um, just to give you a little bit of a background, Molokai has the highest number of Native Hawaiians among Hawaii, excluding the island of Niihau. 
60% of our population here are Native Hawaiian. We are a very rural community. We are the fifth largest island here. Um, just to give you a perspective of the size of the island, it's just nearly 36 miles long. In total, 260 square miles. Our population is about roughly 7,500 people. And we are designated, the entire island is designated as with a shortage of professional health services. We are medically underserved here in Molokai. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of challenges. Right, right. And so um, fortunately, we do have a couple of programs that do serve um, individuals and families who um, are exposed to domestic violence. And so one of these services include Haleho'omalu. It is the only program on Molokai that provides... Sorry, I hear this chicken outside of the yard. I don't know if you're catching... Yeah, it's just increasing the ambiance, Mercy. We know that we're really listening to someone in a rural area in Molokai. They're going to be hearing animal sounds out there. Anyhow, so the only program in Molokai that provides a safe shelter for victims of domestic violence is Haleho'omalu. They report that on an annual basis, the shelter provides an average of 800 bed days for women and children who've had to flood um, flee their homes due to violence. And so to me, that's pretty astonishing. I never realized that, um, you know, even more so this has opened my eyes to violence and on Molokai itself and just the the total, um, the impact it is having on women and children. Well, I think it's especially striking when you consider that there's only 7,500 people on the island, right? Right. Well, Mercy, we have to step away just briefly. We're talking with Mercy Riddy. She's a community health worker, community health organizer. And although we've begun to speak about violence, I think you're going to see something very interesting as this show plays out, because Mercy is going to connect the dots, helping you see how addressing common health issues can actually make a difference as far as our risk of either being a perpetrator of violence or being a victim of violence. I think it's a fascinating topic, and I think there's some great news. Even if you have no worries about violence in your life, you think you're in a very safe environment, you're going to learn some things that can help you lose some weight, maybe control your diabetes, lower your cholesterol. Stay tuned. All that and more coming up right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at AIANL.org. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, AIANL.org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. For 13 and one half years, I was the victim of severe child abuse. I was being beaten, cursed, and deprived of any kind of love and care. It was a big secret. Children are born to be loved, not to be abused. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. 
We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. I'm here to warn you about telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Some of these scammers may say threatening things like you will be arrested if you don't make payments or provide personal information. Do not fall for these tricks. These calls are not from us. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you for information or money. If you receive a call like this, hang up. Never give the caller your personal information, like your Social Security number or bank account, or send money in any form, cash, gift cards, wire transfers, or prepaid debit cards. Report the call to our law enforcement arm, the Office of the Inspector General, at oig.ssa.gov. Share this information with your friends and family. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to today's edition of the broadcast. I am Dr. David DeRose. I'm speaking with Mercy Ritty. She is a community health organizer, a Native Hawaiian woman who has just had a huge vision to make an impact among her own people. My wife and I, Dr. Sonia DeRose, had the privilege of working with Mercy and a whole team of health professionals and lay people that she pulled together to make a difference on the island of Molokai in 2020. The results were impressive enough that they were accepted for presentation at the American Public Health Association's annual meeting in 2020. And Mercy has been sharing with us some sobering insights into violence on the island of Molokai. We'll be talking about some things that her program and others can be doing to make a difference. Mercy, we've been painting this picture about challenges, stresses among indigenous peoples on Molokai. Give us a little bit more understanding of of just what you as a native Hawaiian living in Molokai sees and and what you're reading from the work of others. Um, I definitely see uh, many health challenges here on Molokai, um, social economic challenges, um, which all, you know, everything is connected and ties in with one another. And so, although it's interesting because Molokai is a beautiful island and it's considered a, um, we, we've coined the nickname, the friendly island, hmm. but hmm. underneath the surface, there are some major issues that not everyone <clears throat> can see. If you're a visitor, you may just see the beauty of, of here, the real lifestyle, the easy, easygoing um, kind of feel you get when you come here, but there are definitely some major issues. Um, just like so, what's stated here, Karen Holt, she's the executive director of Haleho'omalu, and as so I pointed out, that Haleho'omalu offers offers service to victims of violence, and 
So she points out that it's not just an issue here in Molokai, but it's a major issue. But on a small island like Molokai, people are deeply affected by violence. It affects everyone, even if it's not your family member. We know if you live here, you know a lot of, you know, you know everyone. And so um, we most recently, well, not several years back, we had, um, there was an incident on Molokai where domestic violence led to a fatal shooting of a, a woman a mother and so it was very tragic and so um, it was such a sad sad time during that time so maybe i could mention something mercy uh those who've heard other interviews that we did from the the venue of molokai in the past uh, they may have heard this but my wife and i were so well we were just astounded by how closely connected people were on the island of molokai you drew a group of people together for the Honolulu program that we'll be talking about. And 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 thank you for putting up with me because I still haven't mastered the Hawaiian. But uh, but my point is you pulled to- together people for this program. And as we were driving one day with all of these different participants, we were driving down the road and we'd go a few hundred feet or thousand feet. Someone would say, oh, there's my house. And then we drive a little further, and someone says, "Oh, there's there's where I live." And someone, else, I mean, it's it's like this is just a big family on the island. I mean, seventy five hundred people may sound like a lot, but you're really a very closely knit group, aren't you? Right. Yes, we are. We are. We definitely are. Um, often, when you're on the road, you're like waving to every car on the road because you know you know the person, you recognize their car for wow. one thing. <laughs> so, right, we're definitely a, a close knit community. Um, and so what's interesting, though, as close as we are, we're the type of community, like, if, what I notice is when things are going wrong or if you see something that's not right, um, we don't we don't come out and speak out because we know everyone. We don't want to get our friend in trouble or our uncle in trouble. Mm-hmm. So in, re- in relation to violence, um, it is suggested that Native Hawaiians are less affected than other people or other indigenous groups. But what is surfacing is that violence is underreported um, as a major issue among indigenous peoples. So basically, basically these close ties are one of the things that often causes people, like you've pointed out, to be silent. So something may be going on, but you don't want to blow the whistle on a loved one. Right, right. And it's often considered just uh, something that's kept within it's a family matter um and even you know some victims find it difficult to disclose what's happening in the home to a healthcare provider just unless there's a trusting relationship between um both individuals but most often they will keep silent because it's a home matter it's not something to disclose to to anyone Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know here in molokai people are afraid to tell you know that's that comes up pretty often um, I can speak from personal experience growing up in a household where violence was prevalent and um, with my mom, you know, she looking back, you know, I, I didn't quite understand everything as a child, but looking back, um, she, she herself like waited a very, very long time to, to seek help in her situation, um, married to her ex-husband and what I saw in her is that she lacked self, now looking back, self-efficacy. She was a young mother. She felt like she lacked skills. She didn't have confidence 
in herself to um, make positive decisions for her family and her children. She felt like she needed to stay in the relationship. Um, she feared social isolation. She feared loneliness. Um, she feared that there would be lack of support for her. And so, and she also, you know, we, I didn't grow up in a home that promoted healthy and positive lifestyles and behavior. Alcohol was everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. we can, you know, the family's just that and drank. And, um, I look back and what the foods I ate and it's like everything out of a can, you know? And so, um, yeah, violence, this, this type of lifestyle, the violence in the home was a regular part of my life growing up. Wow. It's very unfortunate. And, um, Unfortunately, what's interesting is my mom got out of that situation and years down the road, she actually started working for a program called um, Domestic Violence. What was it called? ATV Abuse. Oh gosh, I forget the, what it was, but it was called ATV mm-hmm. and she actually helped others, victims and perpetrators to um, to seek help. Like she, even though she herself was a victim at one point, she knew, she realized that every perpetrator has a story and that they don't become um, violent all on their own and that they too have things that they got to work out to, to overcome these issues. And so that was kind of interesting, her taking on that role. No, that's profound. And I, well, that's one of the things that I appreciate about what you brought to the table as far as pulling together this program. You had this firsthand, not only insight, but experience. And I've noticed that many times when people go through adversity, it can help them become stronger. Sure, sometimes people are overwhelmed, but I think one of the great stories of indigenous peoples in the Americas is that they're not just survivors, but they're people that have thrived. They're people that have really pulled together in their communities. And I see you doing that again. And I think that's uh, so encouraging, Mercy. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. DeRose. And so um, an article was published that, so what's interesting is that Violence has been found to be a key determinant of health for Indigenous people and communities. This was published um, through Center of National, I'm sorry, Center of Aboriginal Health, and so that I found very interesting. The health, um, also the Native Hawaiians, so it's been reported through NCBIA, the Voices of Native Hawaiian Women. Native Hawaiians have higher prevalence and mortality rates of diabetes and cancer coupled with high rates of intimate partner violence. Mm. And some factors that contribute to violence, contribute to violence include self-efficacy or deficiencies in self-efficacy, deficiencies in social support, and deficiencies in health-promoting lifestyles and behaviors. And I think this is where things get so interesting because I know we're going to speak about a program that people would look at and they'd say, well, this is designed to help people with obesity or diabetes or cholesterol or high blood pressure. But what you're showing us is some of these things come together. Let's talk about this first thing of self-efficacy. How would you define that? Self-efficacy, I would define it as an individual's ability to make positive choices and decisions with confidence. Mm -hmm. So Sage Journal has reported that Clinicians should focus on enhancing self-efficacy and abuse women, um, help support and create and maintain positive changes. So they see the value in self-efficacy. Social support um, is associated with increased resilience, mm-hmm. connectedness, building stronger network ties within communities, 
and fostering resilience among abused women. Yeah, I love this theme of social connectedness, and, and you were definitely doing that during the program that we'll speak about in the rest of the show. So addressing self-efficacy, social support, what other factors uh, did you highlight? Right, and then we also highlighted um, positive lifestyle um, behavior and mm-hmm. choices. Mm-hmm. So this leads me into um, Ahonu'ulu. And so the thesis behind Ahonu'ulu is that community-based programs led by Indigenous community members, which focus on common health needs, can build community capacity to decrease violence. Excellent. And we're going to want to talk about this in detail. We're going to show you in the next segment, Mercy is, some of the remarkable things that she and her team pulled together and how this is changing lives on the island of Molokai, how it can change your life, how it can change your tribe, your community, your family. You want to stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. The most negative thinking in my childhood was the things said to me. I felt like I was a bag of garbage waiting to go to the dump. Please, moms and dads, put a watch on your mouth as you relate to your children. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with the second half of today's broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose. My guest, Mercy Ritty. Mercy is a community health worker and community health organizer on the island of Molokai. She is one of the visionaries of the Ahana'ulu Project on the island of Molokai. Mercy, you've laid a great background connecting some of the things that you've been looking at with the real challenge of violence in indigenous communities, particularly in Molokai. But you went about your program to try to impact especially chronic diseases, lifestyle diseases. Is that fair to say? Yes. So tell us a little bit about that program. Okay. So Ahonaulu, again, it, um, it basically means to improve or to grow in wellness. Um, it is a, well, initially it started as a three-day weekend program. 
and in December, in January of 2020, decided let's try to extend this program over the course of seven days. Um, it is a residential lifestyle program, meaning the participants stay at the site. They do not leave. The actual cost of delivering the program for seven days amounted to around $12,000. Fortunately, um, the expenses were grant-supported. And I do want to, at this point, acknowledge our sponsors for this program, primarily Series Trust. And um, we had sponsors, local sponsors, in the, Uvai, the Native Hawaiian Healthcare System, Molokai Community Service Council, Aina Momona, Hawaii Seed, and Sustainable Molokai. So you really had some excellent partners that came to the table. Yes, we did. We did. Very grateful. Um, for these seven days, we did require a registration fee per person, and it was $170, which came out to about $25 per day. This is um, a fee that the participant paid out of pocket. Um, the program itself was organized um, by my, myself with a support team of four Native Hawaiian community health workers. We were also supported by volunteer health professionals, including two medical doctors. Thank you, Dr. DeRose, Dr. David DeRose and Dr. Sonia DeRose. Also one registered nurse, one physical therapist, and two massage therapists. As a follow-up to the program, we met in small groups once a week for an entire month. Each group uh, was comprised of about three to four individuals, which was, and the sessions and activities led, um, following, in the follow-up were led by a community health worker. And following that month of follow-up, we continued to meet once a month. I think we were only able to meet twice mm. because um, COVID you know, hit and things kind of um, got challenging. But this is the basic structure of the program. It is a very low-cost program. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this is really exciting. Uh, if you want to just dwell on this for a moment, because I think a lot of folks, they've heard about these lifestyle programs. And many people I know over the years, they've spent 3000 5000 8000 12000 I mean... I mean, they can spend a lot of money going for an intensive lifestyle change program. And you were delivering all of this at an out-of-pocket cost to each participant of $175. Really, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable that you were able to do that. Yeah. You know, I, um, I went to a place called Weimar Institute up in Northern California, and I was fortunate to attend a lifestyle education program there. So I was there for four months. My mother, um, so it was like a student program. And then my mom attended twice at um, Weimar's uh, New Star Institute lifestyle program where she wanted to get help for her health. And so while I was there and, and, and learning what she um, learned at the, during her, during her um, health improvement program, I wanted to take all of that that I learned and apply it on Molokai, but we don't have the facility facilities or equipment that they have. And I thought, okay, well, we can adjust and just adapt and use what resources we have. And so I had to kind of, you know, um, condense uh, the program to like real camp style, um, low, low cost 
kind of a setup and which actually worked for us because our community is very outdoor. We're a very outdoor community. And so camping in beautiful tents at the edge of the fish pond where you, you look to one end, you see the fish pond in the ocean and you look to the other end in the mountains right there was uh, a perfect setting. It was a perfect setup actually for us, for our particular um, community type. And so, um, but really I wanted to mimic the program at Weimar Institute and do the same thing, but, um, you know, but, you know, of course having to, to change the approach a little bit for our island to keep it low cost. No, this is exciting, Mercy. So tell us a little bit more about the program. I'm looking at a slide. If anyone uh, actually sees any video enhancements, you're showing the lodging here. It's not a Hilton Hotel. What was the uh, lodging like? Um, the lodging was basically heavy-duty canvas tents and very spacious. I mean, it was very comfortable. We provided mm -hmm. the bedding and mattresses and everything that was needed to make camping as comfortable as possible. Um, and this is basically what it looked like. And um, it was pretty neat. You did a good job. Right. And the volunteers as well, we stayed in tents as well. So everyone um, had the same accommodations. I want to introduce our team in January. We are so fortunate to have these individuals. I call them Team Aloha. Aloha means... Um, just in simple terms, it means aloha. I mean, it means love. And definitely the work that these volunteers gave was a work of aloha, was a work of love. And um, I just really appreciate each person. So this is Team Aloha. Like, Ahonokulu in January could not have been made possible without this team. So the curriculum that was used in Ahonokulu included live lectures. Dr. DeRose led these lectures, as well as a few community health workers um, led short class lectures um, in our classes in massage and in our cooking classes. We also use videos and hands-on activities. We also based the program on a 30-day challenge wellness program developed by Dr. DeRose. And I have here, um, if you do get to see this video um, um, presentation, there I have here a sample of that video. You can find it on YouTube. It's freely available. It includes 30 daily challenges that accompany a five-minute video. And um, the title of these, these challenges is 30 Days to Natural Diabetes and High Blood Pressure Control. And so we found this to be such a convenient curriculum for us and very doable and simple to follow. Yeah, it's exciting to see what you folks did with that curriculum. So Many of you who've listened to the show on a regular basis, you know my website is compasshealth.net. And if you go there to our resource section under Help for High Blood Pressure, you'll see a link to these 30 free videos that Mercy is mentioning. So they're called 30 Days to Natural Diabetes and High Blood Pressure Control. And just like she said, they were the foundation for the program in Molokai. But you can use these at home just takes about five minutes a day, go through the, the lesson, challenges to make some changes. And Mercy, you use this not just during the week, but wasn't this the framework for the follow-up as well? Yes. Yeah, so in total, the program was 30 days. It was seven days at the site together. 
And then the follow-up portion um, comprised, is comprised of the remaining 23 days. And we did include all of the um, reading material that came with these videos um, as part of our follow-up. So it was really neat to have something, some kind of curriculum set up that um, we didn't have to come up on our own. And, and it was um, tried and true exercises that we could do and activities. Excellent. So how did you get the word out? So um, basically, I mean, it, was, it wasn't very difficult to recruit participants. We, uh, as I mentioned, this Ahonolu has been around for about three years. And so in our previous programs, those individuals went around to their family and friends and shared um, such positive comments about the program. And so when it was time to, to um, recruit, more individuals for our January program, it was no problem. We had a wait list, in fact. Um, but I did post some flyers on social media and a, a few flyers on community um, bulletin boards. But really, it was through word of mouth that we were able to um, gather a nice group of people to embark on this health journey together. Well, I think you've got a lot of us engaged. I think folks are are wondering who all went through the program and what kind of results you had. Right. So we had 11 individuals, local residents, who attended the program. Uh, we did have one individual who was not from Molokai. She came from an outer island. She was, in fact, the mother of a volunteer, a Honolulu um, community health worker volunteer, and so this volunteer really wanted her mom to participate. And so she, anyhow, she, she came from off island and was with us. So we had in total 12 individuals. Um, 10 of the participants were uh, Molokai residents and they attended our follow-up sessions. We had eight female participants and two male for the follow-up sessions. The average age was about 55. Um, we've had participants as young as in their early 20s. That was in previous programs, right? Previous programs, uh -huh. right. So let's get to the results. It was so neat to see this. The intervention participants demonstrated statistically significant improvements in weight, in GERD, in systolic blood pressure, and LDL cholesterol, so lowering of the LDL cholesterol. Um, and we also had each participant complete a post-program survey and through this survey, we found that there was definitely an increase in self-efficacy and social support and an increase in knowledge and how to make positive lifestyle choices and to improve um, in this area. Yeah, this was impressive, Mercy. So these changes that we saw were not just during the one week, but these people continued to make progress. So these results that you're showing there, when I was running the statistics with you, are uh, statistics for changes over the course of the whole month. It wasn't just an intensive program. It was four one-week sessions, even though the pandemic interrupted it, right? Right. We did, um, we did have um, these areas measured pre-program at the end of the seven days and then at the end of the month. So we, that's how we were um, gather our, our data. Yeah, so exciting stuff. And we're looking to hear more about the program, Mercy, more about the experience of the participants. And especially, I think there's folks that are going to be wondering, 
about take-home messages for them, how they can do something similar. How can they catch this enthusiasm from indigenous people in Molokai and translate it into their own tribal setting, maybe in the Southwest or the Northern Plains or somewhere out on the East Coast or in Alaska, wherever they might be. Uh, there are going to be different opportunities, different challenges, but I think some of the general principles that we'll talk about in the final segment will encourage everyone. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Mercy Ritty is my guest. We're going to be talking in our final segment about things that can really make a difference for you and those you love. Don't miss it. We'll be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. The following is a public service announcement for victims of child abuse. If child abuse victims don't get counseling or help, they so often become abusers themselves. The victim doesn't make the decisions. They just take the orders. I got help, and so can you. If you've experienced child abuse, find someone to talk to, someone you can trust and share your hurt and disappointments. Go to overcomingabuse.org. That's overcomingabuse.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Flace with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you own firearms, it's your responsibility to make sure they're always stored safely. Hiding them in a closet or drawer is not enough. Kids know where they are. Research shows the risk of injury and death is lower if guns are stored unloaded and locked up with the ammunition locked in a separate place. This is important when children are young as well as when they grow into teenagers. For more, talk with your pediatrician or visit HealthyChildren.org. So I wanted to talk with you and your mom today, Lily, because some people at school have noticed changes going on with you, and we're concerned. Like what? Who? Some of your friends, teachers. It sounds like you've lost interest in a lot of things lately. You're hanging with new friends. So? So, individually, maybe those things are no big deal, but taken together, and then the incident the other day, you were with Derek when he was caught selling marijuana. Yeah, he was selling it. Honey, we know. But we care about you and, and want to know what's going on. That's right. We just want to understand better and see how we might help. And if weed is a part of it, we just want to make sure you understand the negative consequences for someone your age. The physical and mental health effects, the poor decision making, and the confusing legal aspects these days. So what do you say? Can we talk? For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's program. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Mercy Ritty has been talking with us about Hanaulu. 2020, the uh, third installment of a program that she's been doing on the island of Molokai. And we promised you that we'd talk about some things that can make a difference for you and for those that you love. And so, Mercy, I'm going to turn back to you and ask you, when you talked with participants, what were some of the things 
that made a big difference for them? Because I think this will encourage all of us. Right. So some of the strengths of the program and, and the feedback that we received included community support. So they felt in coming through Honolulu, there was definitely um, great community support from the volunteers and from the participants. And as you can imagine, spending, you could almost expect in within seven days to create and, you know, being together for seven whole days, not leaving the site, interacting and participating in different activities and cooking together, you know, gardening together that you would establish this closeness and support among each other. And so we definitely saw that and they also felt that. They also liked the team approach to the program. It was helpful to them to have a community health worker with their team to to support them and coach them along the way throughout the week and throughout the follow-up period. They felt a sense of togetherness that each of them were going through the same thing together and all had a common goal, which is to, which was to improve their health. And in sharing that goal, um, they felt like they were all, um, they were all supporting one another. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. also felt that the closeness of relationship with the group size, we did have a small group size. And so, um, which was kind of worked out really well create that closeness and relationships between the individuals. So I think, Mercy, this is so significant. You know, you're talking about social connectedness, people pulling together. And I know a lot of discussion lately has been about a term that some people don't like, social distancing. Other people are saying it would be probably better to talk about physical distancing because you have kept your community intact virtually. Am I understanding that correct, even though you haven't been meeting together physically? Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. So, yeah, it's just unfortunate that we, um, right after the closing of Ahonu'ulu, our one-month program, we were not able to get together physically, aside from maybe two opportunities. But we've been saying... Remain connected through our through social media. We have a Facebook group page. Um, we have continued to share recipes with one another, uh, photos of what we are doing in our home to continue um, this lifestyle of health, promote um, increasing our health. And then we've also, we have a messenger. Um, we text one another just to see where everyone is at, how everyone is doing. So that has really helped greatly to just stay connected and to continue to support each other during this pandemic. That is wonderful. So tell us a little bit more about things that really connected with people, strengths that they identified in the program. They actually share their personal stories. And this, uh, they felt that by sh- in sharing their personal stories brought, um, made the program more meaningful and personable. And I think what's important about sharing your story too is that sometimes we have to, we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And in doing that, um, we're able to receive support and help. And so I like that part of the program too. And not the participants share their personal story as well as the um, volunteers. What they also found as a strength is that in coming together as um, a community, and community members, community health workers, that we are drawing strength from a community. So 
you've heard the term, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, I definitely feel the same in regards to health. It takes a community to build health in a community. We need everyone. We need everyone's help and support. You can't do it alone. Um, they also appreciated the encouragement that they received from one another, positive words of encouragement and motivation to achieve their health goals. I think this is just uh, so powerful because so many people have told me over the years, Mercy, that they know what to do or they feel that they should be doing better. And I think it's so empowering to hear other people just like you, other community members, the journey that they've been on, the challenges as well as the successes they've had. And like you said, this not only builds a sense of community connectedness, social connectedness, but it also really helps to boost people's self-efficacy, that if this neighbor of mine could do this, I think I could do it. And then they come together and actually do these things, because wasn't that what was happening in the program? Weren't people going through the program together, doing all these things together? Yes. So they cooked together. We had some gardening activities. They gardened together. They were all exercising together, walking together. Um, we had massage classes where they and hydrotherapy classes, so they learned together. We um, sat in the lectures together. So everything was done um, together, alongside one another. We, we learned together. This is great. And uh, tell us a little bit more, because I know folks are saying, look, we'd love to come out to... Molokai to Hawaii and go through a lifestyle program, especially if it only costs us $175. But I know this was not a program just for anyone in the world. It's a special program for your community. And you had these local donors as well as other donors from outside of Molokai helping out. But um, give us some other sense of things that were impactful in your program that are kind of take-home lessons for people. I'm thinking about the coaching, for example. Is there a way that you could translate that into other environments? Right. So that was something we added to this program, having a health coach, uh, any health worker assigned to a group. Um, I think that was such a powerful addition because... Like we didn't just end the program and then now, okay, here you go. You you learned all that you could learn. Now go off and continue. Um, the coach was an integral part because they offered support beyond the seven days. It almost, okay. So one comment we got was, was just kind of funny. So if, if you ever get an opportunity to come here to Molokai to Kalvinui, the it's a beautiful location. And so you almost feel as small as the island is, you almost feel like you're not on the island. And so when everyone, when we left and departed, it was almost like going back into the real world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of like the comments for getting like, okay, back to the real world, back to family, back uh-huh. to home. And often what can happen is you go back into your home and you're so excited and motivated, but um, making that shift in the home can be challenging. And so you mm-hmm. kind of still need like someone to support you, someone to lean on during that time of challenge. And the health coaches were that, they were that individual that the participants could still lean on and seek help and support from throughout that transitional time, like going back into the home. It sounds kind of funny, but 
But it's like a real, I mean, it was very helpful. It was very helpful to have someone to lean on for the next 23 days. This is great. This is great information. I think just helps people to think in terms of things they can do in their own community, their own tribal setting, their own urban setting, their own home. And one of the important messages I heard that grew out of all this is connect with people, take time, listen to each other's stories, try to do things together, even if it's in a virtual environment. Mercy, as we're winding things up, I know a lot of times people say, wow, sounds like this woman has a lot of experience. Could I connect with her? Could I learn more about her program? Is there an opportunity to do that at All Mercy? Sure. I do have some my contact information that I can, I'm willing to share. I can sh- share an email. Um, my email address is probably the best way to connect for me. And that email address is mercy, M-E-R-C-Y, Riddy, R-I-T-T-E, at gmail.com. Okay, so let me see if I've got this right. M-E-R-C-Y, and then is it just R-I-T-T-E? Yeah. At gmail.com. Okay, so I've got that, Mercy. And we will make sure that uh, the stations that air the show have that and the information that we send to them. But if you're just listening right now, just remember Mercy Ritty, and Ritty is spelled R-I-T-T-E, and it's simply a Gmail address. So mercyritty at gmail.com. So Mercy, as we're winding up the show, any final messages you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think what it would be would just to um, connect with friends, connect with your family members, um, and start somewhere. Whatever your health goal is, just start, you know, start somewhere. Powerful message. Mercy, thank you so much for joining us and for all that you're doing there in Molokai and beyond. Again, I'm Dr. David DeRose. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's journey. As always, I'm wishing you the very best of health. This is Life Talk Radio.